Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Remember a number of years ago, I was uh, getting my little baby to sleep at night, and I'm looking out the window at my other son who's playing out in the yard with the neighbor. They were playing cops and robbers. The neighbor's kid was the robber who just escaped from prison. My son was the overzealous police officer in this little game and was chasing after the robber with a rope, uh, presumably to tie him up after he captured him, and decided that he was going to lasso the other boy from a distance. Uh, like he's herding cattle, which he's never done in his entire life, so why not try now, right? And so he takes the, the rope and he chucks it at the kid and whips him straight in the back. Neighbor's kid drops to the ground, screaming like he just got shot. So now there's all this commotion happening. The neighbor's mom comes darting out of the front of her house, you know, comes and checks on her boy, and she picks up his shirt and sees a, a rope whip mark right on the kid's back and looks over at my son who's holding a rope in his hand and starts screaming at my son, which wakes up my baby, who starts screaming in my arms. So now we've got three screaming people. We've got one screaming kid who's hurt, a parent screaming at my kid, and then my baby screaming in my arms. And I'm thinking, how do moms do this every single day? My wife had just stepped out to go buy some dinner, and uh, here I am, and i got all these screaming kids. And so my wife pulls up, and before she can even make it to the porch, the neighbor intercepts her, and starts screaming in her face, dropping F-bombs and telling her about how our kid is a menace to society. There's my wife standing there with Chipotle in her hands like, I was gone for 10 minutes. (laughs) What happened? What happened was a firestorm of emotion got set off and it was my kid who lit the match. You know, today we continue in a message series about dealing with difficult people that we're calling Reply All. And today's topic is how do you respond when the problem is your child. Now, show of hands, how many of you were a problem child for your parents? You put a couple of gray hairs on your mama's head, you stressed out your old man, okay, all around. Listen, not all of us are parents, but all of us are somebody's child. And so today's message is for you. God has something special for you. So if you have a Bible, Find your way over to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 15 and cover a lot of ground today. If you don't have a Bible, we'll display the verses up here on the screen. And we've been looking at the life of David and his many difficult relationships and where we pick things up in his timeline is he is now the king and he is dealing with a child who is causing him all kinds of problems. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, read along with me. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. So back in those days when there was disputes between two parties, they would usually be settled by the lower courts. But when the matter was particularly heavy, it would get elevated to the palace. And so the king himself would judge over these. But obviously, one person can't hear every single of these complicated cases, so he would send out representatives to gather the facts and then bring them back to the king. 
Well, David's son Absalom saw an opportunity here to stick it to the old man. So he went out into the palace courts while people were lining up to bring their concerns to the king, and he just started working the crowds. Hey, where are you from? What town are you from? Oh, I love that town. Hey, have you tried the milkshakes in Big Al's Sheep Shack? They're the best. Hey, next time we're out there, we'll have to grab one, right? Hey, what brings you to town today? Oh, well, you sound like the victim in this case. I got some bad news for you, though. The king's not going to be able to hear you today. You know, he's getting on in the years. He's, he's in way over his head. And quite frankly, I think he's losing touch, which is sad because for such a fine, upstanding citizen like yourself, you're just a victim of a broken system. And then he offered an alternative, verse 4. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. I'm Absalom, and I approve this ad. Can't you just feel the political posturing taking place here? I mean, clearly Absalom is intentionally and strategically sowing seeds of division to get people to turn on their king. Always be suspect of people who speak this way. You got them at your job. That person would say, if only I were the boss, we'd fix this. You got them in your family. Hey, if I were calling the shots, we wouldn't be in this mess. You may even have them in your church. Hey, what's pastor doing? If I were in charge, we would actually care about people. Absalom was sowing seeds of division, and he was doing it on purpose. The Apostle Paul, who's largely regarded as the most influential person in the entire Bible, not named Jesus, had very strong words of warning for people who are divisive. This is what Paul says, recorded in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. He said, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. Paul said, watch out. Divisive people will cause you trouble. Divisive people don't care about you. They don't care about God. They don't care about others. Divisive people care about one person, and that is themselves. And there is always an agenda. Absalom was working that crowd like a seasoned politician because his agenda was he was making a play for the throne. Verse 5. Also, when anyone, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all of the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. He's out there kissing babies, shaking hands, posing for photographs, all the while secretly amassing an army to have a coup on the throne. And he got the people behind him. And finally, after working this plan for years, his moment came. Verse 13, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. David was an incredible leader, a lousy parent, but an incredible leader. And he saw the writing on the wall, we got to get out of here now because if we don't, we're all going to die. I know what Absalom is capable of. 
how in the world would David reply when it was his own child that was the problem? Maybe you can relate. You know, I think a question worth asking is, how do we get here? And maybe you're someone who has a strained relationship with your parent, or you're a parent who has a strained relationship with their child. It's a question worth asking, how did we get here? I wanna jump back in time a bit into David's life, into one of his pivotal moments, and he had a lot of them. He took down Goliath, he had great military victories, he led the nation in the worship of God. Unfortunately, however, one of the most pivotal moments of David's life came with a massive mistake that he made. It's recorded just a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 11. It says this, beginning in verse two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home, The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David's abuse of power and manipulation over this woman resulted in an unwanted pregnancy and attempted cover-up and ultimately a hit put on Bathsheba's husband. This mistake, which we'll dig into in more detail in part five of this series, set in motion a series of massive consequences for David's life. And I wanna highlight one of them from God himself. Verse 10, now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. God put a pronouncement on David's life that because of his adultery and then the bloodshed of an innocent man, that same bloodshed would be visited upon his own family. So David's own children would die, they would fight each other, and even kill each other. And so I have to wonder if while David was fleeing from the kingdom, from his son Absalom, if he thought in the back of his mind, this is all my fault. It all goes back to that horrible decision I made all those years ago with Bathsheba. Which leads us to the first application point of today's message of how to reply to a difficult child. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. I want to give you a couple of statements today that I think are really important for us to say to ourselves in how to reply to difficult children. Here's the first one. Number one, I cannot rewrite the past, but I can repair the present. I wonder how many moms and dads came into this room today carrying the regret over decisions you made in the past. I wasn't there enough for my kids. I got addicted to a substance. I got tangled up with the wrong man. I got a divorce. I made bad choices before I became a Christian. I made bad choices after I became a Christian. I raised my kids too legalistically. I put the church before my own family. Now they resent God. It's all my fault and there is no hope. There is always hope if you have Christ in your life because he has given us this day. I can't go back and undo all the stuff that I did, but what I have is today. A critical verse in the scripture on how to deal with difficult people is recorded in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this in verse 14, make every effort, make every effort to live in peace with who? 
and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The command in these verses is to make peace or live at peace with everyone and to not allow bitterness to reign in your hearts. Those two things are connected. Because when your relationships are off, it causes bitterness. When your relationships are at peace, it dramatically reduces bitterness. And I just wonder how many people in here, because relationships are off, you've got bitterness in your heart, and it's not even directed towards people, it's directed toward yourself. And you have so much heaviness and regret. What do you do with that? You know, with David, he missed a lot of opportunities to repair his relationship with his son Absalom. And he had a strong sense when he had to flee the throne that his army was going to come in contact with Absalom's army. And when that did, he wanted to make the most of the opportunities he had left. He said this in verse 18 of 2 Samuel, excuse me, verse 5 of 2 Samuel 18. He said, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. David was telling everybody, if the situation presents itself, do not kill Absalom. Capture him alive. Perhaps David was holding out hope, if we could just keep my son alive, then I'll have one last chance to patch things up. Unfortunately, time was running out. We don't have to live that way. We could take advantage of the time we have today. So I wonder how many moms and dads, you have a strained relationship with your child. And, and moms, what you could do is you could say, you know, if she wants to get right, she can call me. I mean, today is Mother's Day. Is there an easier time to call than today? Dads, you could say to your son, you know, it'd be nice if you called your mother for Mother's Day. We could do that. Or we don't have to wait for somebody else to take the first step. We could reach out and say, son, daughter, I made a lot of mistakes raising you up. I wish I could take all of them back, but I can't. However, I want to make the most of the time we have right now. I love you, and I want a relationship with you. If you're a child and you receive that from your parent, then embrace that, accept it, don't push it away. And also, if you're a child who you have a strained relationship with your parent, the command of Hebrews is for you too, to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Not make minimal effort, not make no effort, make every effort. Remember, your phone works too. Your car works too. Today, you can reach out to mom, say happy Mother's Day, and start repairing that relationship. David missed a lot of opportunities to repair his relationship with his son. He was hoping to gain one last one by keeping him alive, making the most of today. I can't rewrite the past, but I can repair the present. What effort can you put in today to help those strained relationships? That's the first reply to a difficult child. Here's the second one. I cannot confuse loving with enabling. You know, for a lot of parents in here, we're able to see the world so clearly and objectively, but for some reason, when it comes to our own child, we automatically assume they're always right and the rest of the world is always wrong, right? This is a struggle. But the problem here is that 
If we allow bad behavior to go unchecked, we're going to create some problems. And so what a lot of parents do is when bad behavior comes, they don't say anything, they don't step in, they don't discipline, they don't confront. Instead, they say, well, I'm I'm fearful. If I do, I'm going to lose the relationship. So they do the worst thing, which is nothing. That's not loving. That's called enabling. David was guilty of doing this with Absalom, not once, but twice, and it caused massive problems both times. Now, what I'm about to read you is some messed up stuff. So if you think your family is a hot mess, may in some way you be encouraged by just how depraved David's kids were. We're going to read in 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. This is how it starts. It says, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, in case you're getting confused with names and relationships, let me break this down for you. Amnon is David's firstborn son and heir to the throne. And he falls in love with Tamar, David's daughter. Amnon and Tamar have the same baby daddy in David. Amnon and Tamar have a different baby mama, making them half-siblings. Amnon fell in love with his half-sister. Typically speaking, you don't want to find the love of your life at a family reunion. You can write that one down. So Amnon fell so hard in love for his half-sister, more like in lust for her. He burned with passion so much that he made up this story that he was feeling sick and asked his dad, hey, can you send Tamar to bring some of her special bread to lift my spirits? This is what happened, verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him he, he, to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. What kind of Mother's Day message is this? <laughs> I told you, this is a messed up family. Unfortunately, things get much worse. Verse 12, no, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Amnon sexually assaulted his own sister. Can you imagine what would happen to him when the king found out? Death penalty, maybe? Uh, Jail time? Exile? Here is the recourse for his actions. Verse 21. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. That's it. He did nothing else. He got mad And that was it. There was no consequence for this despicable act that Amnon committed. There was no penalty. There was nothing. He got off scot-free. Maybe David thought, well, you know, he's heir to the throne and he's my own kid. I got, you know, I I don't want to lose the relationship. We, We don't know what he thought. All we know is he did nothing. That's not love. That's enabling. 
And Absalom, who's the full blood brother of Tamar, when he found out that his old man did nothing, he decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. And so he plotted for years to kill his own brother. But when you're heir to the throne, you probably travel with an entourage. And so it's really hard to get him alone. And so he cooked up a whole plan, Absalom did. Verse 28, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. So he threw a party, got everyone drinking and got their inhibitions down, got them feeling loose, got Amnon drunk, got him alone, and eventually killed him. So I want you to go back to the palace gates when Absalom is working the crowd and saying, hey, the king is not going to bring justice for you. I'm the one who brings justice. Now you see where it came from. So this put David in another dilemma. Well, now, what's going to be the consequence for Absalom? I mean, he murdered the heir to the throne. Well, Absalom, he fled town. He got out of there. And you know what his penalty was? Nothing. Once again, David did nothing. In fact, just a few years later, he allowed Absalom to restore to full kingdom life back under his watch. This was a grave mistake for Absalom. There was no repentance. There was no remorse. There was no admission of guilt. There was no change of life. Nothing. He just got to come on back. This is not love. This is called enabling. And it breaks my heart for so many parents. When, when I hear stories, I just heard one last hour of, of someone who has a child who is addicted to drugs and they allow the child to live at the home rent-free, the kid's stealing money from the parents and they, their, their justification is, well, at least he's in my house where I know he's safe versus being out there in a drug house somewhere. Or the parent who allows the daughter to have the boyfriend living at the house, sleeping in the same bedroom, doing Lord knows what, and the justification is, well, I'm afraid if I tell her no, she's going to run away, so at least I have her with me. Forget God's standard of, of sexuality. And what we're doing is we think we're making loving decisions, but we're actually enabling. What we're, do is, what we're doing is teaching our kids how to sin better. And that's not even how God deals with us. If you're a child of God, he steps in. This is how a loving father deals with his children. Again, back to Hebrews 12, verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. What the scriptures say is that God loves his children so much that he refuses to stand on the sideline and watch us train wreck our lives. So he steps in and allows hardship to help break the stranglehold that sin has on our lives. Now, admittedly, some, some parents take these passages to justify harsh punishment. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline is making the hard decision to help a person get back on track. And that's what God does with you and I. I bet some of you have felt this before. Because of your bad behavior, you lost a job, or your marriage fell apart, or your secret sin went public. You think that was accidental? That was a loving God stepping in and saying, I love you too much to allow you to keep going like this. So I'm going to allow some hardship in your life to discipline you. Was it what you wanted? Absolutely no. Was it what you needed? Absolutely yes. Was it painful and embarrassing and humbling? Yes. Do you ever want to go through it again? No. But if you were able to endure, there is healing and wholeness on the other side. And for a, a mom and a dad to step in and make that hard choice coupled with a child receiving that, there is a hope for a change. But if we're just allowing people to continue in their bad behavior, we're just helping them get better at it. It's not how God deals with us. We need to make the hard choices out of love. I cannot confuse loving with enabling. That's the second. Here's the third. How do I reply to a difficult child? I cannot always save the day when somebody has to pay. I can't keep sweeping in to play the superhero and shield my child from every single consequence coming their way. Now, when my kids were, were, were infants, I was so afraid I was going to break them because their bodies are just so frail, you know? So you, so you do everything to protect them from harm. In fact, I remember when my little guy, uh, when he learned how to roll from his back to his stomach, we had set him on our bed, took our eye off him for one second, and boop, rolled right off and fell onto the floor and started crying. So my wife runs over and picks him up. You know, did we cause long-term damage in him? You know, those feelings. Even though he fell two feet from a bed to a carpet, you know, you're scared because they're so frail. You know, now I'm the same kid. He runs face first into a brick wall. And I'm like, ah, he's okay. Rub it off. <laughs> Says the dad on Mother's Day. <laughs> See, moms, this is why we need you to slap the dads in the arm and say, go comfort your hurting child, right? But listen, we're so, we want to protect kids from harm. But those kids get older and older and older, and old habits die hard. And if we keep shielding them from every single consequence that comes their way, then we will raise kids who will never take responsibility for their own actions. This was Absalom. He faced no consequences in his life. He, he, kept, he kept escaping them because daddy always saved the day. But ironically, it was his natural consequences that led to his demise. First, the setup. Let's look at 2 Samuel 14, verse 25. It says, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot there was no blemish in him. 
Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Absalom was into himself. He knew he looked good. Got his hair cut once a year, and you know it's only because his mama told him to do it. And he would even weigh it when it was done. He had such thick locks of hair. Absalom was handsome. He was winsome. And after he chased his dad out, he had the kingdom. He had it all. And he didn't want just his dad off of the throne. He wanted to kill his father. But I think he underestimated the old man because David was still a fierce warrior with an experienced army and they got into this huge fight in a thick forest and this is what happened to Absalom. 2 Samuel 18, verse nine. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. He's probably trying to get away by mule and went to some thick brush, stuck right in those thick locks of hair. And there he is hanging while the mule went running off and a couple of soldiers came by and went, is that Absalom? (laughs) But because David said, don't harm the boy, they listened. The commanders, however, had no such reservation. Verse 14, Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Moms, if you've been getting on your son to cut his hair and he's not listening, you now have biblical justification for your argument. You tell him, if you don't cut that afro... If you don't trim those locks, you're going to get stuck in a tree and people are going to kill you. Guaranteed, it's going to happen. (laughs) Bald people, you don't have to worry about this. All the bald people said, amen, right? (laughs) By the way, if you're ever wondering when pinatas were invented, here it is right here. (laughs) There's Joab hanging in the tree. What did they do? They came over, threw spears in him, and then treated him like a literal pinata and beat him to death. Absalom lived most of his life consequence-free. He had all kinds of confidence that no matter how bad things get, daddy's going to swoop in and save the day until it was too late. And moms and dads, I know this is hard. Maybe you're the parent who you take your kid to the playground, you put on a full helmet on the kid, elbow pads, knee pads, body armor. Before they go down the slide, you're squirting it down with hand sanitizer. Hold on, hold on. Okay, now come on down the slide. Kid can't even come down the slide because of all the armor he's wearing, you know. And you're just like, okay, I don't want my child to be hurt. And to be clear, if your child is going down a path of harm, you ought to intervene. You ought to step in. You ought to warn them. You ought to pray for them. You ought to try to get them to stop. But if they won't listen, you've got to release them. You gotta, you gotta pray and say, God, I believe you love my child more than I do. And so I'm going to say, let their life run its natural course, and maybe this is the only way that you're gonna get their attention. Maybe this is the only way for them to feel what they need to change and take some responsibility is to feel the natural consequences of their action. Unfortunately for Absalom, by the time he finally felt his consequences, it was too late. 
And how did David respond when he found out? Verse 33, the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Every parent can, can relate to this kind of agony because it's so difficult to just let a kid go. It's, it's heartbreaking to watch them make bad choices and to say, I gotta take my hands off. It's agonizing to watch them fall in love with somebody who you know is bad for them. It's terrifying to watch them forge their future plans. But there comes a point in time where we've done all we can do and we have to hand them over to the Lord. Say, God, let the consequences take over. Because if I constantly shield my kids from every consequence, you know what I teach them? I teach them that mom and dad are the savior when I need to be teaching them that Jesus is the savior. Jesus is our only hope. You know, Jesus has interesting similarities with Absalom. Jesus too hung from a tree. Jesus too had spears pierced into him. Jesus' father watched him die, but here's where Jesus stands alone. Jesus didn't die because of his own bad choices. He died because of ours. He laid his own sinless life down as a perfect sacrifice for you and I so that all who would believe would not perish but have eternal life. See, all of our bad choices, our sin, created a gap between us and God, a debt we could never pay. And so when Jesus laid his life down, he bridged that gap, he paid that debt so you and I don't have to pay it. It all comes down to a relationship with Jesus. I can't imagine, as flawed as I am as a parent, doing this without him. Some of you are doing it without Jesus. And today's the day you need to begin a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not, in just a moment, I wanna lead you into starting one. I wanna lead you in a simple prayer of just crying out and giving your life to him and inviting Jesus in to take over, placing your faith in him. So, so now is the time. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I wanna invite you right now. I wanna ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads, and if you wanna start a relationship with Jesus today, you've, if you've never intentionally invited him in, then repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your own heart and he will hear you from heaven and save you. Pray these words. Jesus, today I give you my life. If, you, if, you, if you've never said these words, pray them right back in the silence of your own heart, right back up to heaven. Jesus, today I give you my life. I can't save myself. I believe you can. Jesus, I believe you died in my place. And today I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you come into my life and change me so I could leave my old life behind and walk in new life with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, I wanna encourage you that before you leave, stop by the next table in the lobby, let somebody know, I received Christ today, what do I do next? 
For those of you who have a program, Pastor Anthony said at the bottom there's a little perforated card. There's a box on there that says, I said yes to Jesus. You check that box, and in a second, the offering bags are gonna go along. You could drop it in there. If you have prayed to receive Jesus, I wanna encourage you to take your next step. Stop by the next table. Maybe you wanna get baptized today on Mother's Day. You said, I've received Jesus, and today I wanna take that next step. Stop by the next table. Maybe you want to join a small group or get plugged in. You need some assistance. You need somebody to talk to. Stop by the next table on your way out. Keep going. We're going to have lots of difficult people that we're going to deal with in our lives. It's really, really hard when that person is your own child. Not all of us are parents, but all of us are somebody's child. And so when you have a strained relationship, let's, let's remember this. I can't rewrite the past, but I can repair the present. What can you do today to put in the effort to live at peace with everyone? And I cannot confuse loving with enabling. Today, make the hard choice out of love to help somebody and put them in God's hands. And I can't always save the day when somebody has to pay. If I constantly shield my kids from every consequence, they will grow up and never learn to take responsibility and will never depend on Jesus. We need him. Friends, David's family was messed up, and maybe yours is too. But Jesus is in the business of transforming messes into masterpieces. And if you keep him central in your life, he could do the same for you. He could transform a problem child into a godly child. So mamas, don't you stop praying. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.